1: Episode 50 of The Bowery Boys. What happened to collect Pawn? Hey, it's The Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com.
0: Hello there, and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. And welcome. You've made it to our 50th episode of the show. Wow. Um, And most of you, probably all of you, are scratching your heads and thinking, why on earth have you chosen probably your most Central
1: Park? No, the (laughs) grid system.
0: Empire State Building? No, none of those. We've chosen... Subways. No, we've chosen a rather obscure topic, Collect Pond... And the making of Canal Street, but the reason that we've chosen it for the fiftieth is because it is the topic, believe it or not, of the very first episode of the Bowery Boys, which no one has heard.
1: And (laughs) and it's the episode we're not even sure why it was our first episode. It
0: doesn't make make any sense, I don't think.
1: It was a year ago this week that we sat down just for kicks to record the first episode, and we talked. Since we're recording down in the Lower East Side, uh, we talked about you know the street not very far away, Canal Street. Street.
0: Yes, we're, we're we're very close to where this Collect Pond and Canal Street are. Maybe that was why we chose it. However, we're readdressing the topic today. It's incredible for a few reasons. You know, it, it's just we're going to take you back to a time when Manhattan was Manhattan and show you a little bit of of the topographical nature of New York. Collect Pond, which was in downtown Manhattan, and some of the environs, we're going to tell you how they were vital to the city. We're also going to tell you how Collect Pond helped create one of the most notorious neighborhoods of the 19th century and the most notorious prison in New York
1: City. But on a less dismal note, it also created one of the most vibrant streets in the city. So stay tuned for The Missing Story of Collect Pond. Greg, so before we jump into the pond, why don't you um, situate the listener tonight? Well,
0: before, oh, I'm not even going to situate the pond. I'm going to situate all of Manhattan. I was oh, at a, <laughs> I was at a lecture last week at the Museum of the City of New York. And it was the it was a presentation of this fantastic project that they're doing called the Manhattan Project. It's actually being done by the Wildlife Conservation Society. And the goal is to envision Manhattan Island today filled with tall buildings and concrete and subways and millions and millions of people. And to kind of envision what it may have looked like the day before Henry Hudson sailed into the harbor 400 years ago. So basically before the Europeans got here. They're going to recreate New York's old natural and ecological appearance by computer-generated maps. They're going to be basing this on older maps and archaeology and and first-person accounts. And most incredibly, they found this British map from 1782 – that they had actually made of Manhattan while they were trying to defend it from the American rebels, but it's so topographically detailed of just the hills and the streams and all the different land impressions and the marshes and everything that they can actually use it for this topic. So,
1: wow! And this is something that's at the Museum of the City of New York. Not,
0: right now? no, no, not yet. They're still working on it, and they're going to. What they're going to do is they're going like to debut some in 2000. kind of
1: museum VIP. <laughs> How do you get in? All well that. well
0: i can't get i can't reveal my sources no. but but it'll actually be revealed for the henry hudson quadra centennial the 400th centennial uh, in 2009 but they were just doing a sort of a preview of it but one thing I took away from this was just how difficult it is to look up and down a New York City street and see it as like well, this used to be where nature is, like this used to be right. where Seen a stream it as is, a natural environment. You know, I mean, Spring Street used to be where a sp- a spring ran, and this street runs approximately sort of like where that spring was. But how can you even envision that? Because it's like you know, now it's all shops Broadway and people. Broadway was
1: the way a broad ran. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a broad ran where? What? <laughs> no, what? The, uh, the Lenape Indian tribes used to be able to, you know, take canoes on small little streams that went from the Hudson to the East River. I mean, you know, there used to be all these different navigable little streams and bodies of water. As a matter of fact, what I learned is actually 54 different ecological environments on a Manhattan Island alone, from densely hardwood forests to swamps to meadows to Fields. I mean, you name it. It was so ecologically diverse. I mean, it's difficult to see that, don't you? Right. Think? I mean,
1: what what actually survives today? Because even our big, you know, ecologically diverse Central Park is sort of an invention.
0: It's a created, yes. But I mean, you can sort of see, like, I mean, for instance, like Murray Hill is a little bit higher. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, Washington Heights is still retained as altitude, but most of the most of this kind of stuff is is completely vanished. All the streams have been filled up, and the hills have been leveled. So this takes us to Collect Pond, a place which is no longer there, very difficult to envision, but was something that was incredibly important to the early New Yorkers, to the Native Americans who lived here.
1: Right, because this is where they got their water, in a nutshell, folks. The fresh water in the 1700s came from Collect Pond. Right.
0: Well, m- much of it, yes.
1: Right. Or from wells that were getting water from Collect Pond. I mean, or Underground
0: streams, and yeah.
1: Collect Pond was really a pond that was the size, what, four city blocks, sort of northeast of where City Hall is today. So, again, because it no longer exists, it's a little, and even the streets that then replaced it many no the, longer Yeah, exist. many of them don't. So it's sort of like around Catherine Street, Leonard Street, Franklin Street, east of Broadway. Again, yeah, four city blocks, 60 feet at its deepest, and, you know, surrounded by hills and such. This is... A time we're going to be talking about today, uh, mostly through the 1700s up till about well, the early 1800s. Before that even, around the 1600s, this area was also home to the African-American residents in New York City.
0: The earliest artifacts were around 1664, I believe. They It was a free black community, and you know, sadly, it was put there... You know, outside the city limits, as sort of a a buffer for the Indians, they were like, "Well, yeah, you can have your community there because that's just one more level that the Indians need to get through if they're kind of going to come to attack." Right. But it's and a, this
1: is the northern. This would have been the northern edge, obviously, of, of the city. The Correct. City of but then of slightly New Amsterdam and then New York.
0: Yes, but then slightly su- south of Collect Pond, and that's actually around the area now where the um the African Burial Ground Monument is.
1: Right, which they found in 1991 when they were excavating for the new federal building. Well, they
0: barrel ground. They didn't find the monument. Yes,
1: (laughs) Yes, <laughs> Sorry, yes. They found a monument. No, they found the burial ground, which they believe contained ten to 20,000 burials. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a massive place. Anyway, back to the 1700s. At the time of the Revolutionary War in 1776, the population of the city had reached about 22,000 people. It would fluctuate during the war, after the war, like you've heard in other podcasts. This period now after the war, you know, the city is recovering, its former inhabitants are coming back, property is being reclaimed, businesses restarted. So it's a period where there are 20, 30,000 people living in the city and they're getting their water from this pond. Now collect. Wh- what does collect mean? It comes it turns out from the from the Dutch word uh K-O-L-C-H, right, meaning small body of water, and then it became Kalk, and, and it sort of and, of morphed into collect.
0: As a matter of fact, because you know I'm, I'm a little oversensitive about how I pronounce words, you know, I've actually read a couple accounts that actually say, I think more co- correctly, it should be pronounced as colic park. or Colic? Colict pond. Colict, Col- not collect. <laughs> I
1: wish you could see Greg's face. <laughs> Face as he's trying to get this word out of his mouth. Collect. Collect.
0: But it's, uh, so, but we're going to keep saying collect, whether that's cor- correct or not. Yes. But colict might be, in fact, the the better way to say it.
1: But when I saw that it was caulk at one point, I mean, I thought it had something to do with chalk. They found found
0: oyster shells on the western edge that the uh, Indians had left there. And so I think that was an original theory as to what the name – as a matter of fact, there was a a small hill right next to it called – Shell Point Hill. Oh. So, and now, I mean, and the water was filled with oysters and clams as well as, as all sorts of fish in Collect Pond. So, you know, I can see how they went that direction thinking it was named after these shells. Shells that were sort of chalk colored, chalky.
1: These New York residents loved their Collect Pond, and it was. Also, as we've said, because it was their main source of fresh water. Now, early residents, they either owned their own wells or they paid somebody to use their well. In 1677, uh, the first public well opened down at the Bowling Green in front of the old fort. During the 1700s, there were private wells all over the city. Now, a reservoir was constructed south of Collect Pond in 1776. Mm-hmm. A rather difficult year to construct a <laughs> reservoir. <laughs> Um, on the east side of Broadway at Pearl Street, and that got some water from, of course, the pond. Imagine the water that's getting pumped out of the pond and down through hollow logs and run along the main streets Hollow of logs? The city. Along yeah, with, like, the edge were. of the... Wow. Those were the early, you know, water pipes. It sounds like you
0: could tamper with it, or... I mean, it doesn't sound like the most reliable yeah. source of pumping water, Stay I guess.
1: tuned, Greg. There's a lot of, like, <laughs> dirty yeah, water I, in this podcast.
0: Yeah, I know.
1: And then so that's sort of the basic background of, you know, how people got their water, but they also played in their water.
0: Well, there was a um, there's a hill right next to it. If it were around today, it would be a little bit slightly north of Canal, mm-hmm. and it was called Bayard's Mount. After 1776, they actually renamed it Bunker Hill, a beautiful vista of the entire island, Everyone, people would come up from the city. Our country folk would come in from their houses, and they'd come here and they have picnics. They even called it. I read somewhere the the Central Park of New Amsterdam, place of recreation. You know, well into the the British occupation and past the war, there would be ice skating during the winter. There'd be swimming. There would be boating. In 1781, actually, um, you know, right near the end of British occupation, the son of the King of England, Prince William, actually even ice skated here. There's even legend wow. that says the. Legend says that he almost drowned. So that would have really changed. Yeah, things might have been a little bit different for New York had that happened, if the king's son had died there. Something of a little bit more historical import happens here also at Collect Pond in 1796. A man by the name of John Fitch, an early inventor who's actually from Connecticut, he actually tested out an earlier variation of the steamboat, which we, of course, know from Robert Fulton. But in fact, he actually tested it out here, and he tested it out here in Collect Pond. Um, and did it
1: work? It did. It, it was
0: um it was a very usable form of water transportation, but what he didn't well he you know he couldn't market himself, but also it was costly to produce for everyday use.
1: But it wasn't all just fun summer sports and picnics around Collect Park. There was also a more serious and ominous side to it, especially as the city grew and industry started moving up looking for places. Right, well the city's uh, the city's moving up. Build their factories and right get rid of their waste. Let's just say that by
0: 1800, they were calling it, quote, a very sick and common sewer – and let me tell you right. how, it, how it went from vacation spot to Seward. common sewer. Basically, what happened is all of these industries, dumping wastes, for instance, slaughterhouses were on the east side of the lake. Ugh. This was the only place uh, near the city or the closest place where you could actually kill livestock. And it was the meat was then transferred, you know, south to the city. And then the hides, they'd move over to the tanneries, which I'll tell you about in a second. And then they dumped the offal and all the remains, you know, the offal, and the offal.
1: The, the awful awful, <laughs>
0: the, yeah. Into the pond. Of course. Um, so the, the slaughterhouse
1: Into the drinking water.
0: Into the drinking water. So they would... So that was... The slaughterhouses were next to the tanneries, and the tanneries, of course, had their, you know, these toxic chemicals, and, you know, this would give the pond a sort of a really memorable, noxious smell. Mm. Next to them, you had the breweries, and you had the gunpowder factories, And you had the rope walks, where they would would manufacture rope. Just imagine an unregulated pre-Industrial Revolution dump. By 1800, it was completely polluted. It was disgusting.
1: So the Cuyahoga River in the 1960s. You know, in Cleveland, the river that caught on fire. Oh, yeah.
0: Except no one was drinking that river. Collect pond as drinking water. It was rancid. It was diseased. It was blamed, in fact, for spreading typhus, cholera. Right. You know, this is an age where uh, there's so many diseases going around and people are just dipping into this nasty water. Water was such a commodity that, you know, there's there are underground streams, and you, like you said, you had these wells. Just very nearby, they had what was called the Tea Water Spring. It's a little bit north on Park Road today, like where this place used to be, the Tea Water Spring. It was a fresh reservoir of water, and what these enterprising tavern owners would do is they would bottle up the water, and they'd sell it to people, you know, because they had no other drinking water. So those who could afford it could buy this bottled drinking water. So you could say that New York's (laughs) obsession with bottled water goes all the way back to the post-Revolutionary War era.
1: Wow, long before office coolers of Pullen Spring.
0: (laughs) They were drinking out of the tea water spring. Wow. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC. Hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC.
1: Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country— including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So, obviously, something had to be done. This is a completely out-of-control mess.
1: Right, and And the population is growing, too. So what to do with Collect Pond? So the Common Council, the sort of city council, was looking for a solution to this conundrum of what to do with Collect Pond, one of the ideas being to turn it into a park.
0: Yes, there was, in fact, a plan, a proposal to turn it into a park. Do you know a man by the name of... Pierre L'Enfant. Maybe. Did I say that correctly? L'Enfant? L'Enfant. Um, he was, he designed the first city hall, the first, uh, the first New York City hall, which then became Federal Hall downtown. Um, he was one of the original designers of DC, but I'll get back to that in a second. He had actually been given several commissions throughout this growing city. He was sort of the hot developer, if you will, of the post-revolutionary era. He had proposed a park and a... Thorough lake cleaning. But he was also planning on designing Washington DC. He'd actually been hired by George Washington, but was fired, kind of like ingraciously fired, and sort of his reputation sort of went out the window. He actually died in poverty. He's kind of a sad story. But clearly for that reason, these projects didn't come to fruition at all.
1: And that's too bad when you think what could have been, you know, at Collect Pond. As it was in 1802, the city Decided to just drain the thing, to fill it up and to drain it. So they decided to fill it in with dirt from other projects. I mean, they, they leveled the nearby bunker hill that you were talking about. That's well, gone, yeah. It's, yeah. They were taking it down, dumping it into the reservoir, hoping that that would, you know, soak up the water basically and drain it. Throw in construction debris, other garbage, anything else they could find. Yeah,
0: throwing threw in garbage. Garbage. <laughs> That's going to help the situation.
1: Well, I mean, we do it today when we, you know, create landfill with anything we can throw in there, and that's what they were doing. It made sense to them, except the problem was that the area flooded easily.
0: It's marshy. It's still marshy. Right, Right,
1: and and it was spreading, you know, mosquitoes and insects and all that stuff, and it was kind of damp and gross all around there. So Mm -hmm. the area surrounding it couldn't really absorb the extra water. So, you know, you're throwing in all this dirt, pushing the water out. It was just turning into kind of a giant cesspool (laughs) marsh. Mm, Sounds great. So they hatched another plan, an 1807 plan to drain the water from the entire area and the remains of the pond and feed it through a canal over to the Hudson River. So Uh they sort of dug this ditch that went a little bit north and then hung a a left and went west and headed straight for the Hudson So they've got this ditch, and they decide, of course, well, might as well build a street around this canal, you know, leading from the pond out to the Hudson. And at that area where it turns westward and and heads toward the Hudson, they built a street that's a 100 feet wide, lined it with trees, and called it... Canal Street. But of course... And they and so they didn't they covered
0: the at one point, then they eventually covered the canal right and that was a, a sewer.
1: Well, the the whole pond was drained by eighteen eleven, and it wasn't covered until eighteen twenty one. So there oh, was okay. there was about twenty years there actually because they started building that canal in eighteen oh two. There was mm-hmm. about twenty years where there was this lovely canal that was you know filthy water just going through it, <laughs> filthy muddy you know sewer water that was going off. <laughs> But the street was 100 feet wide, and the the ditch was only about 10 feet wide, so it wasn't really that big. I think that maybe, and because it was down so low, Uh you couldn't smell it. However, by the end, yes, residents who lived in the new housing developments, you know, the new residences along... Canal Street mm-hmm. were really complaining that it, it smelled terrible. There was foul odor in the air and they wanted the thing covered. So Canal Street got covered in eighteen twenty one. Well thank goodness. Yeah. But they still used it. <laughs> they still used it as an underground sewer.
0: Meanwhile, what to do with the land that's now a drained used marshy mess. Well, some of the people who owned the land, some of the families, the Astors owned a little bit of land, the Skirmerhorns, these business owners, they kept their land leases and they they, they either sold them for profits or they built apartments there. Like everything in New York, you know, someone, you know, they had a brilliant idea. Let's build luxury
1: condos. (laughs)
0: Condos. So after the pond was drained, they decided to build some apartments, which they called Paradise Square. Mm -hmm. Now, Paradise Square sounds like a great place to live, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? You know, these were intended for middle and upper class people who were escaping lower Manhattan. They were moving uptown. They were moving... On up. On up. You know, this Paradise Square was located between Anthony and Cross Streets and converged onto Orange Street. These None of these streets exist right. anymore. But um, if any of you have read Gangs of New York, these streets might sound familiar because, unfortunately, Paradise Square was far from Paradise. It, it's a weak area for any kind of architecture in this neighborhood. I mean, there's it 's underground springs. it 's got a, you're creating a swampy environment over here after just a few years. these brand new buildings that they just built up begin to sink mm. into the landfill, and there was also this sort of rancid smell that was coming you know you had the canal and anyway smelling gross, but now this whole neighborhood smelled kind of disgusting so anyone who had any money moved out. And people who couldn't afford to live anywhere else moved in and Which it would just,
1: probably be the newly arrived immigrants.
0: So by the time, you know, that the Irish immigration boom happens in the, you know, the thirties and forties, voila, Paradise Square and surrounding areas has become Five points. The most notorious slum in New York City.
1: So the most impoverished group is moving into the least sound architecturally.
0: Well, they're just awful, awful buildings. there. of course, with all these people moving in, they're still building more buildings in the neighborhood. But you know, also, and you know, if you notice in general around Canal Street theres not There aren't a lot of super tall buildings. Right. There's not a lot of bedrock in that area of, of Manhattan.
1: Well, there is bedrock. It's just way down.
0: So it's a, it's, a, it's a little difficult to really get an architectural hold in this neighborhood anyway. And so then you have these springs and marshy, swampy environment. And it's just a recipe for a disaster.
1: Well, which relates to the development that would happen in 1838 when the city decides to build a giant prison on a patch of land that had been occupied by the pond it literally
0: it, is sort of in the middle of the of where the pond the would be the middle of the pond they, they built a prison there
1: they built a a prison which was sort of nicknamed the tombs it was modeled after an egyptian mausoleum and i think it was inspired to create fear and obedience it, you know it was really imposing and really severe now, the tombs was laid on a foundation of hemlock logs that were as far down as they could dig them and lay them, mm-hmm. trying to make it as secure and stable as possible because, of course, the engineers at the time knew that there could be an issue with this, but they tried to get it down there as far as they could. Still, once the building went up, the building began to shift a little and the basement was <laughs> sort of dang. I mean, besides being an insecure building, it created an even crazier atmosphere because you were in this terrible modern mausoleum where certainly torture was happening and the worst of the worst prisoners were held and the thing was sinking well it it, it was it was
0: deplorable conditions i mean uh, charles dickens visited there and wrote about it famously Uh, Herman Melville even wrote a story uh, that was set in the tombs. And it's funny because it's right next to Five Points where I'm sure many of the residences of five, Five Points saw the inside of the tombs on more than one occasion.
1: And they could look up and see you know, the tombs always looming there, maybe shifting a little before their eyes. I should just add that when they ripped down the tombs, because it was condemned at the end of the 1800s, they ripped it down and in order to build the new one they had to sink concrete caissons 140 feet beneath ground to find the actual bedrock Sure, right So they did I mean it is possible to build something solid in this neighborhood if you find the bedrock but you had to go down 140 feet to find that
0: The current tombs by the way which it's actually officially called the Manhattan House of Detention is on 125 White Street was built in 1941 but it's interesting it's still in the neighborhood it's still very much in the Collect Pond neighborhood. Nearby there is a is a small park, which they used to call Civil Court Park, and is now called Collect Pond Park. It's surrounded by all these huge government buildings. I mean, like I said, the neighborhood is a colorless neighborhood. It's all these official buildings it's curious because the collect i would call the collect pond blocks aren't residential blocks really i mean you know just a couple blocks east you have chinatown one of the most densely populated areas of, of new york city and I, I just always find that kind of fascinating meanwhile canal street during the 19th century it was then you know the northern border of the sixth ward the legendary sixth ward where five points and this notorious neighborhood were in 1909. Things changed f- for Canal Street. Well, that's when the Manhattan Bridge opened, and with streetcar lines and later subway lines, it, it, it would start to become a sort of a huge hub of traffic in Manhattan. Anyone who's tried to drive down Canal Street can tell you what a pain in the neck it is. Around this same time, and near that near the entrance of the Manhattan Bridge would be the Jewish jewelry district. Would then move there from Maiden Lane and would stay there for decades. Now. Actually, a lot of Chinese jewelry stores are there in those same spots, and so of course we go to Canal Street today. It's it's lined with all these different shops where you can buy handbags of of you know suspicious quality, Chinese souvenirs, and all Knock electronics, off colognes, <laughs> knockoff colognes, cheap batteries, but. <laughs> But I mean Canal Street's so diverse. I mean I mean one end of it is kind of quiet towards the west side. And then as you as you go east and it goes away from the bridge, it goes back into a quiet neighborhood through Chinatown and into the lower east side. Which is where we are
1: tonight, recording our fiftieth episode. Yes. So, so thank you very much for joining us, not just tonight, but on other episodes. For all
0: the other 48 episodes, since you didn't hear the first one, hopefully. And we appreciate, uh, we appreciate your listenership. Check us out on the blog. That's com.
1: Greg does a great job updating the blog almost every day, putting up things, um, looking for your comments as well.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, corrections and suggestions. You can email us. Those email addresses are there.
1: Plus, I believe that tomorrow you'll be putting up photos, uh, illustrations of Collect Pond of the area. So yeah, try I try def- to figure out. For I definitely, I
0: definitely will. You know what's really cool? What I, what I did. I've done it more than once. I hate to say I'm a geek. <laughs> is you know, I have a, a map of Collect Pond and, you know, just trying to, like, go down there. I just find this fascinating, this whole thing. I just can't get over it, the idea of trying to picture trees and hills and, and water. So you can go down there yourself and, and do it down in financial district. So have a great New York week, whether you live here or not.
1: See you next week. <laughs>